This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And your time. Put our hands together for Hip hop, hip hop. Cause who I'm talking about, y'all, is hip hop. The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who, inside of them, the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. So my name is Jacinda Bully, a.k.a. Ja, a.k.a. Amp Mouth. I'm from Uptown Chicago. I'm one of the founders of Kumba Links. Roxanne's Revenge was I was trying to remember the first time I heard hip-hop I say fourth grade I think it was like a spring or winter break and this boy so back in the day Chicago had BMX the radio station right we would always listen Friday or Saturday night like house music because that's huge in Chicago so it was like recordings of BMX that I had and on and he told me to give him a blank tape and on the other side of that he taped over my BMX and put UTFO and Roxanne's Revenge. So I remember like coming home that weekend and hearing it and like, what the, wow, there's this female that's going off. And it was just like the first time I really felt like empowered because she was snapping so hard. And mm -hmm. she was, I didn't even know how old, she, I thought she was way older. I didn't realize that she was just a few years probably older than me. And that whole weekend or that break, I can't remember, I, you know, listened to probably the tape fell apart and wrote all her lyrics down and memorized them. I rapped that song through my eighth grade graduation. She was just the dopeness that I wanted to be. I didn't even realize that was rap and emceeing. I just was like, this is a dope sister. I said I met these three guys and you know it's true. Let me tell you and explain them all to you. I met this dude with the name of a hat. I didn't even walk away. I didn't give him no rap. But then he got real mad. And he got a little tired. If he worked for me, you know he would be fine. He wears a Kango and that is cute. But he ain't got the money and he ain't got the loot. And every time that I see him, he's always a begging. And all the other girls that he's always trying to leg it. Every time that I see him, he says, around. You see, compared to me, it's weak compared to mine. Every time that I know that I am saying something fresher in any category, I'm no, and I hadn't even had those experiences yet because I was so young that I didn't realize that would come later where dudes would, you know, try to holler and you'd be like, oh, whatever, like never, you know. She was just, her, her voice was so powerful that it was attractive. And so then I thought I could be an MC. And in elementary school, I wrote some rhymes that were pretty horrid. But I remember the first rhyme I ever wrote. And so I always thought of rhyming as like, like you know, you, I, I guess we always saw it when we were younger in battle situations. Because videos, mind you, there weren't really that many rap videos when I was in elementary school and all this was happening. Like, it was an exchange of a tape. It wasn't on the radio. So my first rap was, I imagine that I was like, there's all these dudes around 
And I was gonna like bust in the circle and be like, you interrupted by your girl from uptown. I always got a smile, never spoiled a frown. And I'm speaking on this topic. This got me kind of sick, I mean ill. Chill so I could tell you the real deal. And the rap goes on, but <laughs> that was like my version of Roxanne Shantae. That's why you said it in a language so y'all wouldn't have to bite. You started talking big Latin, didn't make no sense. You thought you was cute, yeah, you thought you was a prince. You're walking down the block cause I'm the one you're gonna clock. And everybody knows that you're all on my yacht. I'm just a devastating, always rocking, always had the fly that's pocket. Everybody knows it's me, the R-O-X-A-N-N-E. Everyone knows I am fresh and any glad to be better. Every time I start to write it, everyone is a number. Every time I do it, yeah, you know it is a mirror. Get on the beat as you can see. So the UPFO. I just always wanted to do that. The sad part is I never did do that because hip hop was male dominated. And when I became 14, 15 years old and really liking boys, I noticed in Chicago hip hop that most of the females that were in hip hop were more boyish. And though I was a tomboy, my, you know, all of my elementary school years, I started to want to be feminine and wear, you know, tank tops and my body was changing. And I saw like those females, the boys didn't necessarily like, they just were breaking with them in the basement or they would be at the party like, what up, dude, you know? So like Ange 13, I idolized. You know, all during my teen years, she's just, I think a couple years older than me. So we would go to parties and I would kick it with her and I would just think she was like the dopest MC. But I was trying to pull dudes and she was on her rap game and I was just thought every dude was fine and you know, the blue gargoyle in Hyde Park, I'm, look at all these fine light-skinned boys. They're like, you know, just blown away by uh, the variety of male interests. So I, because of that, like struggling with my femininity and wanting, you know, boys to like me, which every young girl goes through, I kind of like, I couldn't find a bat, you know, both of those. So I always had these dreams of like, I want to be an MC or like, I was fascinated with beatboxing. And when I saw Dougie Fresh, like, oh my goodness, that just blew me away. Like that your mouth can do all of that. All right, this is called the clicks, right? Go like this, right? And I can do it in a whole lot of different ways. I can make it sound fast, I can make it sound slow, I can make it sound any way I want it to. Like for instance, I could go like this. You know, and at one point I was in a Dougie Fresh video. So we're all down, we're filming on like, I think the Brooklyn Bridge or somewhere in New York. I can't remember where. Because I lived in New York for a little while um, when I was like 19. And he was filming this video and there was like mad females. And he there was like a platform they had built where he's walking over the platform. And we're all in the crowd like, hey, you know. Oh, he had some females up on the platform with him. They're all African-American sisters. And so a Latino sister calls out like, Dougie, what's up? Why you don't have no Latino representation on the stage? And so he puts his hand down to pull me up. And I'm like, no, because I'm not Latina and I didn't want to be on the platform. I'm mixed white and Choctaw Indian. And so I hesitated. And now my girls are like, why you didn't? And I'm like, because I'm not Puerto Rican. Like, I don't want to misrep. Y'all go up there. And so I always was mad at myself after that. But 
I don't know, it's just an ex a cool experience, like the first time I saw him in person. So I was always blowing my opportunities to like, you know, have the things I dreamt about. I know why I did it, and it's cool. And what, I mean, if for a minute of being on a, in a video, I see myself, I could, I could see myself in that video. So nah, I'm cool. One thing before we get started, y'all. I was pretty color conscious my entire life and just because you do love hip hop and you're not African American and then I growing up in black culture so I was pretty conscious of that when I was, I think in seventh or eighth grade, my dad was a member of the Black Panther Party, my stepdad. Growing up mostly around African-American culture and loving hip hop and all of that, I remember he said to me, if your friends are gonna be black and you're gonna talk like that, you need to read this. And so he gave me two things. He gave me the autobiography of Malcolm X and then he pulled out this huge trunk and opened it up and it was all of the Black Panther papers. Um, that's how he met my mom, selling my mom a Black Panther paper. And so at first I'm like, okay, you know, but I, I, it, was, it was dope stuff to me. And so it turned me on like to consciousness at a, a fairly young age, I was probably 14 or 15 years old when he was like, you gotta get into this. Violence is wrong in America, violence is wrong abroad. If it's wrong to be violent, defending black women and black children and black babies and black men, then it's wrong for America to draft us and make us violent abroad in defense of her. Tons of guns, everybody's getting strapped. Tons of guns, gotta watch the way you act. Do the right thing. I remember that movie came out when I was in high school and we watched it maybe 50 times. Mm. I mean, we were so obsessed with it because just race was huge. You know, there used to be these shirts that were like, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. The power and the beautiful like love and respect that was being given to, to black culture and to hip hop like was just that was phenomenal and that was life-changing and to, to witness that and to witness hip-hop show so much love and gratitude finally and for like all these non-African-American youth to be on that too that was a dope time for hip-hop and I like that music like I remember rocking my Jordans at a PE concert but you know I was still young too so like the party component of hip-hop was attractive to me like you know, cause Chicago was very house. So at a really young age, I was kicking it. When I'm freshman, sophomore in high school, I could be out till four in the morning. And so we used to go to a lot of house parties like the music box and the reactor. Like that was our every weekend kind of thing. And that was all pure house music. But around that same time, there was a crew called Dem Dare. They kind of turned Chicago onto East Coast hip hop. They used to have these like fresh flyers that that was part of the party is waiting for, to see what his next flyer would be. And it would be like these cold MCs and like 
cute females with their polos and their door knocker earrings and their hair all fly and like the little fringe twists and and they he, they would have parties at like Alcatraz or out in High Park somewhere and so that was when you had like you, there started to be a decision because we would have like in Uptown basement parties with where it was hot nasty you know just in the hood like people's cars who you'd invite from other neighborhoods would be would come over and they'd get broke into and that was a lot of house and some hip-hop but that was like at home you you had that but in the club scene you could kind of choose you could be at a house party on friday night and hopefully that month you know dem dare was throwing a party and you would go to that hip-hop party so there was that transition I was just thinking about that song, Girl, I'll House You, was when you kind of saw those two mesh. And it kind of was a, a breath of relief, like for Chicago hip hop heads, because we struggle with like our allegiance to house, but loving hip hop, you know, like, because we're house first. That's what we had first. But that song kind of allowed us to say, that's right, like, you know, it, it, we can have both and we can do both. When you're in my hut, you know what's up. Let your mind be free, green like your mind. Jump, jump, a little higher. Jump, jump until you get tired. So my mom is Choctaw American Indian, and she's mixed with Appalachian white. But there was a big influx of, of natives that, that moved to Uptown. Um, I think in the 70s. I ha my mom has sort of a different story because she, before her family moved to Uptown, she ran away when she was like 12 years old for just some really bogus things that were happening in her life with her dad. And she ran away with an aunt of mine who was pregnant at like 14. And they got on a Greyhound bus and went to Detroit because that aunt of mine had a relative or something in Detroit. So my mom ended up living in Detroit for several years until she was, I think, 19, 18, 19. So I have, you know, mad family in Detroit that she just was adopted by a family. They took her in and she did her thing and fell in love with Motown and all that kind of stuff, which that was that, you know, time. And then she moved to Chicago when she was, I, th I think, 18, 19. And I was born shortly after that in Uptown. And Uptown was known at one point as one of the most diverse communities in the world. You had immigrants coming from all over. You had an African-American presence. You had a like poor white, a, a Native American, and a Latino presence. When my mom was living there, the streets were pretty segregated. Like this was, you know, an African-American block. This was where all the poor white folks lived, you know, stuff like that. And there was some integration. By the time that I was born and old enough to remember, there was a lot of mixing. And so I grew up with a lot of kids that were mixed too, whether it was black and white or white and Latino or Asian and black. There was a huge black influence on the community um, and a really rich history because of the presence of the Black Panther Party. This is a warning, another cut to move on. Another beat that's so strong, hold on and I get wicked in this song. Stir up shit as the wit gets wisdom. People coming up, I'm straight low. Pro black and it ain't no joke. Coming straight from the mob that broke shit last time. Now I'm back with a brand new sick rhyme. So black check time and tempo. Revolution ain't never been simple. Following the path of my one for no just build your brain and we'll soon make progress. Page your dues, don't snooze or lose. They came with the master plan and got you. So know who's opposed to the dominant dark skin. Food for thought is a law for the 
So my mom worked out at a bar on Wilson Avenue, um, which was like notorious for like, you know, homeless, drugs, and just, you know, sort of the ills of, of an urban city. And my stepdad came in selling the Black Panther paper. And my mom was behind the bar and she, and she was too young. She was like 18 working the bar and all her like cousins and stuff were in there. And they were known like the big Indians, like they're like six, six and just huge dudes. He came in this guy and tried to sell them the paper. And I guess a big fight happened in the bar. You know, my mom and all the like 14 and 15 year olds got arrested. And the, my stepdad who was selling the paper got arrested too, but told my mom that they somebody would you know take care of her or whatever someone posted bail for them and i and this is a story that's been told to me by my stepdad but he says basically she came looking for him and he said she used the case as the way to like create you know kindle the fire of the relationship to get up with him so he said he found her and since then they you know they were together until the day she passed <laughs> so there used to be a fight in my home right where it would be my stepdad about organizing the community right and my mom would her thing would always be i want to get out of this shit fuck this shit my mom had an obsession with name brand clothes and my stepdad was you know trying to make sure everybody had shoes. I had aunts that were like boosters. That was what they did. So we had fly gear, not because we were shopping at, you know, I guess it would be Marshall Fields and stuff, but my aunts were boosting that stuff and selling it and that's how they made their money. And so there was like that divide in my crib of like the economics of like racial inequality and the economics of just living in, in, in America. I had an uncle that was in the same bar and was there was like a, a fight between, I think a white and a black guy and it, he ended up getting killed with, beat with a bat. So there was a divide even within my house over like how serious is this? You know, let's just forget the race stuff. Let's walk away like it's, you know, killing our family or oh, my family's locked up. Like, how are you going to tell me about equality or, you know, so there was there was a lot of struggle in that. But I really met dope people. We had people like Elaine Brown in our house. I didn't realize that at the time. And I didn't realize that I was like partaking in the free breakfast programs and that my family was being organized while they were, you know, I had hella uncles and cousins that were in prison. And that was a tactic of the Black Panthers to organize non-black folks while they were locked up. And so my, that was all my family. So all the dudes in the family. And it was like a movement that was being created when I was young in Uptown. And then, but you know, also you're growing up in poverty and you're growing up in 
a community that's, you know, mixed racially. And at a very young age, I had that consciousness forming somehow my own kind of identity, trying to make sense of why do I talk like this and look like this? And people asking me, are you Puerto Rican? Are you, you know, what are you? Like constantly, that was a question that would be asked. And so when I was like 16, I kind of got this crew. I think I was the only female in the crew. It was all dudes who had came up in Uptown. And we just started doing like, you know, started to organize in our own way. Here I come, so you better break north as I stride my gold chain, glide back and forth. I care nothing about you, and that's evident. All I love is my dope and dead president. Sound crazy? Well, it isn't. The ends justify the means. That's the system. I learned that in school, then I dropped out. Hit the street, check the grip, and now I got clout. I had nothing, and I wanted it. You had everything, and you flaunted it. Turned the needy into the greedy. With cocaine, my success came speedy. Got me twisted, Janet to a paradox. Every dollar I get, another brother drop. Maybe that's the plan, and I don't understand. God damn, you got me sinking in quicksand. But since I don't know, and I ain't never learned, I gotta get paid. I got money to earn with I remember being a freshman in high school and arguing with this boy that taught me a lot about East Coast hip hop because he was from New York and lived in Chicago. And he, and he turned me on to KRS-One. And I just remember having this argument with him. We were in class and we got onto like the whole drug question. And I was like, please, black people don't are not to blame for the drug epidemic. This is like around New Jack City time and all that, right? And so... America brings in those drugs. Like, I don't know the full, you know, political, global explanation, but I know in my home that what I'm taught, you know, and I know the experience that I'm living when underground economics is just a result of inequities, you know, like we didn't bring no guns up into this community. We didn't bring no drugs into this community. Why are they here? Why are drugs, why, why is crack huge all of the sudden? So I remember having this debate with him, like, you're crazy. Like they fly that shit in here. We, you know, that shit ain't grown here. And him being like, what? You're crazy. And about a year ago, I got a Facebook message from him and we're like, what's up, what's up? And he's like, man, I will never forget that argument that you and I had. How did you know that shit? You know, and I'm like 14, like spitting knowledge, you know, and not really understanding. But that just speaks to like my experience in Uptown. You know, that's why, man, I be telling you all the time, man, you know, love, that word love is a very serious thing. And if you don't watch out, I tell you that. so educated me right like my mom used to say all the times us when we were growing up like jesus wouldn't know white man like get that straight so i remember when like hearing uh karis one like abraham was the father of isaac isaac was the father jacob had 12 sons and these were the ch i'm like damn they were black i knew they were black like because as a young person you're just grappling with all this race stuff and you know like the truth i think it's just the truth is innate like in us and i and so he just confirmed like stuff that was in my mind like, I knew that shit was right. I knew the first, before I ever read it or I heard it, like, I felt it in my heart. Like, I knew the, like, 
the strength and the power of like black folks. Like I knew that. I don't I don't know if that was just from growing up in that around African-Americans and just witnessing that. But something in me, I just knew that. And then to hear Kara's one just tell that like this, this is law. Like, yo, this is in a I thought it was in a book. Like, I don't know where that shit came from. But like the library where, you know, where the lies are buried, like all that just he just confirmed for me a lot of the knowledge. Genesis chapter 11, verse 10 explains the genealogy of Shem. Shem was a black man in Africa. If you repeat this fact, they can't laugh at you. Genesis 14, verse 13. Abraham steps on the scene. Being a descendant of Shem, which is a fact, means Abraham too was black. Abraham born in the city of a black man called Nimrod, grandson of Ham. Ham had four sons. One was named Canaan. Here, let me do some explaining. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, for real, and these were the children of Israel. And so to meet him like two decades later, he comes into this space, which is what I've done with hip hop, where I put my energy, you know, for the last 16, 17 years, not being a hip hop artist that's like blowing up in videos or, you know, like I'm not out just, you know, doing throw ups or like I don't have mixtapes or, you know, whatever like that. I've put my heart and soul into creating this space that's called Kumba Links that really is about it's so funny. Like, I don't want to think of it like this, but it's like that dad who's like at every basketball game living through his like shorty. I think part of the, the of Kumalinks that like I found my purpose in hip hop is to create these spaces for young females, brothers too, because we we understand the social you know ramifications that that are impacting them, but just so that they have this space to explore their stories and to explore their identities and then to do something with it and to make an impact. So when KRS-One walks into the space that we started all this at, you know, 15 years ago, and comes in and sits down and is like, I wanna be a part of this. Like, how can I support you and what you're doing? That is like the affirmation. To have the teacher tell you that you're doing it, that's like a blessing, you know? We flying around the map like angel wings is on our back. Jesus first, baby. He told me I could rap. The G's always stay strapped. Trap boys always tried to hit that. New York City in back, though. Life is a one-way track. Put my hope up on the plane. Thought I was never coming back. Chicago, the ghost state, the ill state, the trap. Daughter like the water flowing through the now river. Walking with Moses is the real he will deliver. Part of me like the Red Sea, seeing what they can't see. Walk through the fire that I met the Messiah. Rejoicing cause his voices got me singing like a choir. Man, these rappers old, I could have sworn that they retired. See the best fire. Kale has blossomed into this organization that went from a performance crew of young three females performing with shorties, creating performance pieces that incorporated rhyme and dance and music and graph art. But yeah, so it sort of evolved from this small little performance group that traveled all around Chicago and people were like, damn, how did y'all get the kids to talk about police brutality? Or And it was like, well, because my man just got locked up last night. And so when I went to work to volunteer with these kids and teach them dance, we had a conversation about how fucked up the police are. And that's where this piece came from. But so, yeah, it just grew from this like really, you know, 
thing that we did to heal and try to give back because we knew that that's what we should be doing because someone taught us that that was the right thing to do and it felt good and it was literally me pushing a stroller like to a school you know or me nine months pregnant wobbling you know to this school every day for free and just hanging out with these shorties three four times a week fast forward 15 years later some of those same shorties that i was you know pushing my stroller to hang with and um, spend time with are now at kl bringing their own kids to be in kumba links or instructing in kumba links as teachers because they felt that power of that exchange of when someone else gives time to someone and gives them a tool to express and to heal. Love your happiness, don't begin with a man, strong woman. Why should you depend on a man? I understand you want a man that's resourceful. If he pay your bills, he feel like he bought you. Talking to a friend about what love is. Some man didn't love her, cause he didn't love his. Hugged her from afar, said what I felt. You never find a man till you find yourself. Time helps mistakes you can learn from. Cause one man fucked up, man, you shouldn't in turn from you want a certain type of guy gotta reach a certain point too at that destination a king will anoint you going through the storm anybody seem warm that relationship died for you to be born you worth more than anything you could cop at the store for you to grow he had to go so what you stopping him for not even i could ignore being alone is hard Find heaven the draw for me to this idea it just came at a perfect time when I needed my own healing. And I wasn't going to get that healing by coaching a softball team or, you know, doing some kind of other community service. I was going to get that healing when I wrote a piece that spoke to what I was going through. And it was kind of, it was an ode to my baby daddy. Um, and it was the first poem that I ever wrote. I had wrote rhymes, like I said, like little funny rhymes and or little battle rhymes. But it was like a first complete narrative piece from beginning to end this is how i feel and that totally was because i had hip-hop in me by that time by the time i was 19 years old i had that in me and i was given that you know i was empowered to tell my story and really it was like my roxanne it was my revenge it was my rebuttal like this is how i feel about you dude <laughs> and but I only did that because of Kumbalinks. So Kumbalinks was first a place for me to heal as a young woman, a young adult, who now was a mother or about to be a mother. And I found my purpose. Like I found what I can do with hip hop. You know, I can heal from my experiences and my stories and make sense of this world that I live in. And I'm gonna do that and make sure that there's a space for other young people to do that and do that even more confidently, specifically for girls, like to, to know, take this art form and blow it up. And you don't have to leave being an, a dope artist. You just have to be a dope human being that believes in yourself and your voice. And so that's kind of the whole way that I entered Kumbalinks and I'll only exit when that changes. In the heart of the city, a pop's nutted. Twelve months later, your mom studded. The sight of your grill, ill-creational. You grew up your rhymes were recreational. A modern-day production of the city street. You said I didn't have it, that I couldn't compete. But the sleeper did sleep, cause the sleeper should've woke up. Now you're in my sight, the Buddha says you smoke up. That's the element you carry your rhymes on. But that style of rhyme won't let you live long. Cause the strong tone administer scent. Cause I'm a product of the environment. I typically will say like, here, I'm white. Because 
when I say I'm Native American, it's like too many questions. It becomes exotic nonsense. So I'll say like, here's this, you know, non-black girl. And she's like, talks like this. She, you know, likes black boys or she likes black culture. And like, so I can't, I just didn't want, I couldn't make that connection to like, to be in hip hop culture because of all the questions that I got. So I had like those two struggles, like the struggle with the dudes, the struggle with like racial identity and just wanting to respect that and being taught in home like you need to respect this struggle and this movement, don't exploit that. And so I had all these sort of internal struggles at a really young age when I'm 13, 14, very naive and very, you know, the self-esteem level of a 13 year old girl is like nada. And so having all this consciousness and all this like information, it, it just had an extra burden, I think, on me. And so I was very cautious of the way that I entered hip hop. And at the time, hip hop wasn't termed hip hop, you know, it was just sort of the music that we listened to when we got all the shorties in the neighborhood to play a, so a softball game. It was the music that we, you know, played in the ride when we were, you know, chilling or going to the club or at somebody. It wasn't like, we're hip hop. It didn't make my love any different. I was fascinated like with the dance and the with, with everything about hip hop because it was so healing and so relieving. You know, and to this day, I, I think about that a lot. Like, why did I not just dive in? But I didn't. I, t I ended up for some reason loving all of it and, and dibbling and dabbling at home in it, but never like taking it to the stage, I'll say. When I design rhyme in daylight, a prime time I stay tight. I walk the fine line between the MC and the playwright. I represent the underground world, it's a unique scene. There's no record deals, no videos, the street teams. I do shows to keep green. I know I'm not a star, man. I'm signed to myself and my mic's my A&R, man. And double nine, I guess it's just a sign of the times. The spotlight that I've been looking for is finally mine. I never thought about the door when I'm designing my rhyme as long as I can reach my people's over vinyl I'm fine it ain't about that I opened up for cats who ain't as dope as me but then I did in uh, the middle of high school come get up with these uh, two sisters and I thought oh I can produce or I can produce shows or produce artists and so we started this crew called Future Dope and at that time is really where my consciousness and hip-hop came there were these open mics on State or Wabash, like around the 20s, the 20s. We used to always go to those open mics and, and watch the different artists. And I remember that was my first time I saw Juice. And that was also the first time that I met this brother named Cassius from the Zulu Nation, who was from 63rd and Halstead. And I remember him somehow ending up in on 63rd and Halstead, like every Saturday or Sunday for these cypher sessions that he would give about the knowledge of hip hop. And he would just break down like, sort of the stuff that I was getting at the crib. So I was kind of like, I was, I was exposed to that, mm -hmm. but he was just connecting hip hop to that. So my experience with like black politics and the Black Panther Party and just like this whole like, you know, movement for the, the people's struggle for, you know, economic freedom, like hearing all that in the crib and like seeing, but seeing that manifest like, and make a connection to hip hop, then I was like, oh damn, I get it. Like, yes, like I am up. This is me, and I can I can take this now. I can embrace this. I don't know what I'm gonna do with this. I don't know, you know, what I'm gonna do with this experience, with this knowledge of understanding that there is a huge political power movement 
that hip hop is totally associated with. And it's not just, you know, a Roxanne's, you know, rhyme, or it's not just that, that dope throw up, but like we can make, we can get political power with this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's when I started to see hip hop is conscious. And peep the technique. So I heard about Islam at a very young age from Eric B. Rakim. I heard about Islam through Wu-Tang. And as I'm talking, I'm just trying to remember lines that kind of stuck out to me. But if it even was like Aki, right? Like, like that's, you know, brother, right? You know, that you that's, that's your Aki. But hearing, you know, Rakim say that and then, you know, 15 years later, converting to Islam and saying, oh, you know, like, or knowing that they're Muslim and thinking and that that's attractive or just being righteous. You know, I remember poor righteous teachers, right? They weren't, you know, Sufi or Sunni Muslims, but they were into Islam and they had an, an ideology. And the thing that made that attractive to me was that they were doing the art that I loved, but they were conscious. And so it was just natural for me to convert to Islam not knowing really anything about Islam except what hip-hop had taught but seeing how perfectly they they really go together has been the journey that I've been on for the last 16 years and now when I go back and like listen to old school hip-hop and see that I'm like no wonder I was so into Islam like it was there it was present in there the conversation the language was there the practice you know, I don't know. I don't know if they know, know everything about the practice. But the references that were made through hip hop, they were, you know, that was that was it for me. And that made me want to know more about it. Students, listen to the lesson I'll be teaching. Learn by holding intellect because it's a blessing. Teachers, study what is spoken through the speaker. Weaker preaches there's no need for manifesting. I'm the star. So controlling all within the soul law. Poor, so I'm a righteous teacher from the heart. Praise your God. All praises due to a law. Seven saw the holy intellect being taught. Grab a hole. I'm not here to promise any gold. Lessons told. A story about a trader of that type. I tell this mic that I'm not here to feed your fantasy because that ain't right. I guarantee you everlasting life mentally. The holy intellect is infinite. It happens since. And I don't work upon the holy soul. I'll destroy you. Any man possesses six and a half by life that. Then watch his brain cells boil. PRT. But righteous teachers, culture free and me has got to be. The holy intellectuals of this but don't forget. We also drop a naked booty bump, but now we test this holy intellect. But I converted to Islam out of the pain that I had and seeking some sort of like spiritual direction and feeling like Islam, it's very spiritual and I didn't even realize how much it was about like a heart connection and, and, and the spiritual component. I saw like the revolution in it, right? And I saw like rappers talking about it and I saw like Zulu Nation and like I saw all this like empowering stuff and so when I was, you know, hurting, I wanted something to help me to not hurt. And so that was just what I kind of decided to go in. And everything was just lined up. Like you know, there was a Muslim sister that I met who was totally not my version of Islam that I knew from hip hop. She was like hijab, only eyes, didn't talk. I would ask her on the side and I could barely understand what she was saying because she would whisper when she'd answer my questions about Islam. And you'd think I'd see that and then hear, you know, but it was like, you look at that, those two extremes, like the hip hop identity of Islam and then like, a, you know, a Sufi Muslim 
And you'd think I'd be like, whoa, no, that's not me. When I started to hear like stories in Islam, like one of the stories that caught me is the story of Bilal. And so Bilal was an enslaved African who the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, set free. And he gave him, asked him to have the responsibility of calling the Adhan, which is the call to prayer. So five times a day, this black man who was enslaved at once, who was set free through Islam and the belief in Islam that no man should have ownership over another man, was calling all the people of the world to congregate together and give praise and thanks for the very breath that they have. So hearing that story of Bilal attracted me to Islam and confirmed that like all of my experiences from as a child being really overwhelmed but exposed to like racial identity and injustice and the inequities that we live in to finding hip-hop is this beautiful sanctuary and healing and a way to deal with all of these inequities like personally kind of wrap your brain around it and figure out what you should do with it hip-hop gave that and then here's you know the third sort of tier of my life where islam i'm able to be at peace right and it's all connected i still Islam recognizes injustice. Islam gives you a way to deal with the injustice. You know, and it just sort of all fell in place. Like searching, finding a way to heal personally, another way to kind of explain and, and grow with it and make the change that I, I want to see within myself and hope that that impacts others. When I make that connection from hip hop to Islam, for me and the way that it kind of confirmed for me my identity and my just experience as a young person growing up and dealing with sort of all the ills and isms. Hip-hop gave us a vehicle to kind of talk about that and express that and share and share our stories. It gives us that like healing circle. And Islam fundamentally deals with that and says like this is not right and this is right. Spend days in heaven's embassy on Quran pages. Allah explains this legacy. Angels doubted Adam. Jacob's brothers clapped him. And ancient pharaohs were too brutal to fathom. If all the earth's oceans were ink and the trees were pens, you can never write the knowledge of God. It never ends. And I know it feels like the whip wounds will never mend. But it's the way of God making the oppressed prevalent men. Probably like one of the artists that I really appreciate in hip hop now is Brother Ali and a crew called The Reminders. And these are Muslim hip hop artists. And of course I appreciate them because they affirm my faith and they affirm the path that I'm taking and they articulate like for me as a Muslim who's non-African American, this is Brother Ali, and that sort of experience. And I think a lot of times, if you went, ever went to a Public Enemy concert or a Karis One concert, the audience is primarily white and not young people of color, which was interesting to me when I first experienced that. And so I think hip hop needed a brother Ali to explain to that audience who wasn't getting hip hop 
and getting its purpose and the kind of resistance that it was and that it should not be exploited and misused. Brother Ali does a wonderful job of educating his folks on what this art form is. And if you're into this art form, this is what you need to be on. You know, not not in terms of Islam, but but politically and you know, Islam just comes into that. So I think that's a beautiful an introduction. I didn't necessarily have that introduction to Islam through hip hop because there are these beautiful hip hop artists out there now that are Muslim and doing hip hop. Definitely hip hop has always had this trace or like this, you know, sprinkle of, of Allah present in it in the way that just in, in the, the text itself. You know, and I think that that's a reflection of like the nation of Islam and that whole political movement that was more political than social at the time with Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X and like that filtering down and what that meant to the black community and the sense of power and pride that that gave to, you know, marginalized communities. I think that's why we would we saw remnants of that. Reasons for warfare. We read them with blind eyes. I guarantee you there's more there. Rich must be blind, cause they ain't see the poor. There, yeah. Need to open up a park. Just close 10 schools. We don't need them. Can you please call the fire department? They down here marching for freedom. Burn down ATPs, turn ATVs on the teacher man. You know, Islam is a faith that is across the world and and embraces hella cultures. You know, there's a native folks converted to Islam when enslaved Africans broke away and ran and lived with natives they taught them about Islam so there's an Islamic influence in native culture there's so Islam and if if you're not Muslim there's influence and so yes like for once I realized oh my god I can think the way I think which I thought for so many years was like what is wrong with me why do I think you know, so much about race relations. Why am I obsessed with that? From what color you choose to wear, that who's standing in what way, like my brain was obsessed with race. And so Islam really just gave me a way to understand that. You know, maiden tribes to know one another, not in that, oh, I know you're black and you're and we'll keep separate, but so that we may know each other's struggles, that so that we may love and support our brother in those struggles, so that we may, you know, resist, so that we may identify oppression and change that, so that we may heal each other. And in Islam, the story of, you know, the way in which we came to be in this physical existence was that all of our souls were gathered. And the way that we connect to folks in this physical existence, the simple answer for why me and you just vibe like that is because on the day of, of the souls that gathered, we just, our souls were close to each other. Mm. So we feel that. We feel that div divinity in each other. We're more connected to that because we shared that moment before our, our physical existence. And that was a soul. That wasn't a skin color or a culture or a language. That was a soul. Being in love, uh, like falling in love with love. 
which is something that young girls do. We want, we want love. And hip hop had a lot of love stories. And one that for me was like my anthem and it put me on the quest to find the love of my life that we was gonna rock the, you know, Great America t-shirts together and, you know, be twins and, you know, we're in the same, I mean, was, you know, that song with Method Man and Mary J. Blige where he's like, shorty, I'm there for you anytime you need me for real, girls. You know, like that song, like he was his ode to like, I love my girl and I'm gonna be there for you no matter what. You know, if I'm locked up, you hold the crib down. Like that was so like my reality. And so like, I wanted to be loved so much that it just sort of, I think it probably, to this day I listen to it. You know, like it just, it that song reminds me of the importance of loving my man and having the love that I deserve. What a job to have to, you know, that's something your mama does, like remind you of, you know, no, you deserve better. Or your daddy teaches you how to be a, a good wife. But because we all have like these displaced families that have been just deteriorated, hip hop had to step in and be like the mom and the dad and teach us like basic skills on how to love and did it so dopely like sure you may for you anytime you need me for real girl is me in your world believe me nothing make a man feel better than a woman queen with a crown that be down for whatever there were few things that's forever my lady we can make war or make babies back when i was nothing you made a brother feel like he was something that's why i'm with you to this day boo no fronting even when the skies were great you would rub me on my back and say baby it'll be okay now that's real to a brother like me that song is like, I, I got your back for good. No matter what, I got you. Whatever we go through, I got you. And that's what your mama teaches you. You know, that's what love is. Sustaining all. Whether we broke or you got a job this month, like, we're going to get through this. And we're going to have a family and be happy and prosperous and know that it's more than just, you know, the American dream. It's about me and you being able to trust and rely on each other. And hip hop taught me that. You know, my mom, an example of my home didn't teach me that. I didn't get counseling that taught me that. But that song taught me that. She's the LL Cool J around the way girl. She's the, the new around the way girl. And everybody loved her. When she came out, she had that edge, right? She had the, the realness of just being able to be real and be in your jogging pants and t-shirt. And that was okay. You, you would fly if you just put on earrings and put your hair in a ponytail. You would fly. You didn't have to do all the you know, jazzy stuff that the sisters got to do today. She made that okay. And, but then she still brought that, like, that feminine, like, sensitive, you know, I, I'm still a woman side to it. But I will check you. You know, she she had that Roxanne Shantae, that same thing that attracted me to hip hop. She had that. I identified with that. Mary brought that in this song. And then here's this, you know, fine thug pouring his heart out to you. Like that's that's the, you know, the dream come true. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want no soft dude. You, you know, by then Special Ed was played out. D-Nice like, okay, Big Daddy Kane, nah, like we, we not doing that no more. It was, it was a perfect match, Mary and Method, to do that song and just speak to the, the youth at that time and, and learn us something. Hip-hop matters because there are communities 
that are being sidelined and marginalized and voices that are silenced on a regular. And it's relevant and it matters because hip hop has the power to influence the way in which we perceive ourselves and each other. Yeah.